Welcome to the ACSM Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Steelman, Director of Alumni Career Management and Professional Networks at William & Mary and Chair of Partnerships with ACSN. Throughout this podcast series, we chat with presenters and guests at our annual conference about what tips and tricks they'll be taking back to their teams and how ACSN helps support them in their own professional development. Good morning. It's so great to see you both, Brandon and Julie. Thank you so much for a terrific session. I'm so delighted that you were able to join us at this year's conference in San Diego. So I thought I'd start off with just asking you both to introduce yourselves, tell a little bit about your role and why you're here. So uh, Brandon Busby, I'm the Senior Associate Vice Chancellor of Global Networks and Campaign at the University of Denver. I have been at Denver for about six and a half years at the End of August, I'll be transitioning to a new vice president role at the University of North Texas to oversee the advancement team there. While at Denver, I've had the incredible opportunity to build and imagine an integrated alumni and career services office. We actually had the unique opportunity to design the program of an aligned career and alumni office, and then to build a building that matched that program on the campus. So it was a, it's been an incredible path. And we've received incredible support from the institution in its investment and the seriousness with which the university has taken the effort of not only student career success, but seeing kind of the long-term vision of alumni career success. I'm a huge believer that this is an important promise that higher education delivers on. And so it's a big part of the reason why I said yes to speaking at the conference, in addition to the incredible opportunity to serve alongside and speak alongside Julie, who's just probably done more than anybody else in the field in terms of her investment in alumni career services and offerings. Now, thank you so much, Brandon. As you were describing setting up that team in the building, I thought, I want to be Brandon in my next job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Julie Sign. I'm at UCLA, where I serve as an associate vice chancellor, have responsibility for our alumni organization, our alumni association as well as all of the infrastructure that supports our external affairs, our advancement team, and also work with both of our foundation board and our investment company board as a COO and CFO. So multiple hats, but really do love the alumni work that we do. And as Brandon suggested, have really from the ground up built an alumni career program that I think has become very valued by the university. We are so jealous of all of the great work that you're doing. I think many institutions here today do amazing work. And it's oftentimes hard to tell that story in their communities of their institutions of the value that they serve to the community of alumni. I'm curious what you think alumni career services plays in the future of higher education. Why is it so important at your institutions? Why have you made it a priority in your career, in the role that you play in higher education, to ensure that your institutions that you're a part of are investing into this? Sure. I think it's so key. The alumni career work is really significant in the alumni work that we do because it's all about building community. We talk about building and sustaining relationships with our alumni throughout their lifespan. And the career journey is definitely a big part of that. To really have our alumni own the opportunity to lift up other Bruins within their community, opening the doors to that first job. We tell all of our students at New Student Orientation doing that this afternoon saying each and every one of you has the opportunity to have an alum you're part of your alumni community, serve as a mentor or wonder throughout your lifespan, beginning now. Take advantage of that. 
And especially now, as we see the world that we're emerging into, where there's a lot more job changing going on than before, that networking piece and that community engagement piece really is all about alumni career work. So to lead that, to set that up, to build a framework for alumni to continue to do that and to own that, as well as to have the opportunity to come into the classroom and speak with students and inspire students along their career journey. I think it's a never-ending proposition, as well as the career reinvention part that really can also be a part of the alumni community. You know, when I think about the responsibility that an institution has to its alums for their long-term career pathways and success, we had probably four maybe even five decades where just simply the piece of paper that an alum left an institution with was enough of a credential to open doors of opportunity. As the world has become more and more connected, more and more nuanced, as industries have evolved and changed more and more rapidly than ever before, we've arrived at a moment where not only is that piece of paper as the primary validation of someone's ability to do a job questioned, rightly so. Not only is that piece of paper also very expensive now, but there's an expectation from the up and coming generation that because of the price that many individuals have paid to go to an institution, that there is a longer term commitment that it's not just about someone getting their first job but that it's the doors in which the connection to that institution is able to open long down the road, five, 10 years down the road. And so it goes to the heart of the question around the return on investment in education. It goes to the heart of the value of education and the ways in which we're tackling issues of equity and justice and access to career outcomes. What role do we play as an institution to help solve some of those challenges for our alumni communities. And so you look at the role alumni career offices can play in that space. And I think you see the emergence of not only an investment in this space, but also an alignment with the mission of institutions that are saying, we're here for the public good. And a part of the public good is our alums having great jobs, and we're going to invest in that. That narrative is kind of slowly starting to emerge. And I think probably as we come through the next economic cycle, we'll see that narrative start to get louder and louder in the coming years. And I hope that means more commitment by these institutions to the work of alumni career development, the kind of preparation that universities are able to offer there. Brandon, I think, you know, when you started talking about the meaning of that degree, I think that's another piece of it, because the other thing I think we acknowledge that that in and of itself isn't always a great experience for our alumni. So this is another opportunity that we can have to impact that and to allow our alumni provide opportunities for them to rebuild their narrative. So, you know, either through being a partner in their job search or saying to them, understand what your experience is, help us in the journey of those that followed you so that their experience is different through creating their opportunities for partnership, mentoring and coaching. And that all looks so different and it's so much more accessible now than ever before. So I think it's also partnering with our alumni in that process. Wonderful. I really want to say thank you for being pioneers and helping drive that. I mean, it certainly impacted William & Mary. We have now moved our Career Services Center to the Advancement Shop, much like Denver has done and San Diego. And then now we have a Vision 2026 strategic plan that has careers as one of the main pillars of that strategy. And I think in addition to that, we are saying career partners for life and that element of alumni 
I didn't write it, but it's, I'm proud of it. And I think we would love for others to, to share that vision because I feel like it's an issue all workplaces are dealing with and workforce and the importance of higher ed and the future of higher ed. Brandon, you're the data guru. How are things changing for you in the work that we do? And what should we be thinking and collecting around some of the work that we do in alumni career services and the, the way to connect that back to the things that you in your roles in advancement or in alumni leadership are looking for and being asked by your board or your president, or what are they asking for that ROI? And what can we be doing to design supportive pieces of evidence or data to drive the value of what we're doing for our alumni and the long-term strategy too, not just a short turnaround, like knowing we can provide that. So I appreciate that question because anytime you really start to gather critical mass of professionals around a particular focus like alumni career services, metrics quickly rise to the top. Two decades ago, it was, what is the consistent measure of alumni engagement? And that has been a 20-year long conversation, really up until recently when Case standardized more nationally what the measures and practices in alumni engagement could and should be. And so you, data and metricing is a journey. It's always a journey. When I was at UC San Diego, we had a board member who is from IBM. And if you want to understand someone who understands a lot of data, IBM is a good place to start. They've seen quite a bit. And she described this data journey that has always given me incredible freedom to let it be just that, a journey. She said, data always starts out as descriptive. You're mapping the universe. You're pointing where the constellations are. Then you move from descriptive to predictive. So your metrics start to evolve to show you and point the pathway towards where things should go, where things should be. And the last step from predictive becomes prescriptive. Then your metrics, the data starts to guide the pathway itself, right? So the way IBM frames this is they collect all the data about where an ambulance is needed. That ambulance then is starting to narrow in on a more focused area. And then they are parking in a particular parking lot because they know the likelihood is within five minutes, they're going to get a call within that particular region, right? So you have to start somewhere. And in alumni career services, it often is numbers. How many people attended this webinar or this thing? And coming out of the pandemic, I think we are in a place where we have ample amounts of descriptive data on the table. Things that weren't getting metric before are getting metric now because we now have mechanisms to track the length of a view on a YouTube video or the amount of individual contacts with a particular program. The challenge though, and where the work remains, I think in the next three to five years is, so what? We know that, so what? And the challenge for VPs or presidents often is, so how quickly can we get those individuals to give back and be contributors to the institution? In the world of alumni engagement, we know that is a journey. That is a long time, not only to get someone to give anything to an institution, but it's a 10 or 20 year journey towards a major or principal level gift to an institution. And so we can't judge or metric 
something like alumni career services off of, well, how many of them are donors next year? That's, you will be driving straight into a brick wall if that is how you're orienting that work of alumni career services. However, we're going to be in this discovery in the next three to five years in this field around what truly are the highest yield ROI metrics longitudinally for the work of advancement. How are we seeing the behavior patterns? There's a lot of data on volunteers, right? If someone is a volunteer for you for any length of time, the likelihood they are donor is five to 10 times more likely than someone that's not a volunteer. We know that someone that attends an event once behaves differently as a donor than someone that attends two or more events in a year. So we, we have examples of data pathways and patterns that show there's a longitudinal pathway. And I can have that conversation with the president or with the vice president and say, give us time to build a culture of volunteerism because 10 years from now, we're going to be yielding the benefit of that culture. The same is true in the alumni career space. We just don't know what the be patient, you're going to see an, you know, a blank X return on our investment in this space because it's cultural. You're changing a culture where your alums, if you do this right, are going to believe you have their best interest at heart and you may set someone on a career pathway because of a career coaching conversation or a webinar that they wouldn't have been on otherwise and they become, you know, a CEO or whatever because of this critical step or this critical nugget they kind of walked away with that. So I think we're on a journey. We definitely are in a descriptive state right now. Some of the predictive and prescriptive is to come, but I think what is most needed from the administrative ecosystem around higher education is the patience and the commitment to understand what are some of those more longitudinal impacts of quality alumni career services. I think the thing I would add to that, totally agree with everything that Brandon said, but the tools that he's describing aren't tools that typically are in our wheelhouse. So that's the other thing I think that we need to have leadership within our alumni space, understand the need to hire staff that can do that kind of work, and then also translate that for our practitioners. So that when we're building our narrative to build the case around whether it's additional resources or the path that we're going to go on because it looks different than the path we were on yesterday, having the metrics and having that background is so key to building that case. It's just not typically been within the skill set, if I could be so bold to say, of the teams that have worked within this space. But I think having that data, having the translators, having folks that can build those charts that we can then tell the story for is so key to us gaining those resources that are so critical to the work that we do. And what do you think is the narrative we should be thinking from an alumni career services professional standpoint? And how do we become narrative artists in our roles of alumni engagement professionals or career coaches or whatever the background of our careers landed into this position? We're not necessarily communications and marketing professionals, we are partners with our colleagues. Yeah, we may not be communications and marketing people, or even metrics people, but we need to know people who are. <laughs> and I think about where does that sit in terms of that overall narrative? And I don't know about you, Brendan, but one of my favorite alumni mission statements is very simple. It's that of Michigan. You may leave Michigan, but Michigan will never leave you. As a proud Wolverine, I like that too. (laughs) And that to me is the narrative around this, is we are always, your alumni community is always a part of your life, Uh, may not be active every step of the way, but when you need us, you need that community in your job search, 
we're here for you. And we also would like you to be here for us when we'd like your engagement with the community that may benefit from your expertise or that door that you may open. So you may leave us, but we will never leave you. Love it. So in this work, when we talk about narrative, I want to draw an important distinction because we are not the authors of the narrative. We are the curators of the narrative. And in the work of alumni engagement broadly, I think it's important that we understand what is authentic and what is synthetic because alums will always suss out the synthetic. It's something that's been created that's not germane to their experience or who they are. Because I could, there are institutions that I have been at where I could say our faculty care deeply about you and your experience. And that does not resonate with the experience those individuals have. They were in classes of hundreds. Many of them, the vast majority, did not have warm experiences with faculty. At other institutions, I can absolutely say that and that will be believed and that will be a part of that narrative. So especially when we're focusing around the career narrative, I think it's important, you know, USC did a great job of really capturing this narrative that Trojans hire Trojans. Now, they put words to something that was out there in the community. They curated this sense that when a resume from a fellow alum landed on the desk of a hiring manager, that was almost always a part of the conversation. It opened the door. Very much so. And no one believed that just because someone went to the institution that they went to, that they were going to hire them. But that narrative is out there and they probably think about it twice because they share this experience. They throw up the victory V or whatever it is. And so they thoughtfully curated an existing narrative and boiled it down to something that that their alums could remember. Now, in the alumni career space, is it authentic that individuals care deeply about the students and the student experience? Is mentoring germane to the experience? I think we have to be hungry and curate the narrative in a way that's authentic, because if it's not, it will fail 100% of the time. And that's one of the biggest challenges with the marketing side of any institution is alums often feel they've been forgotten or left behind or not thought about because the message or the framing may not resonate with what their experience was. Institutions change and evolve. Our alumni bases have gotten much more diverse in their thoughts and opinions and their demographically, they've gotten more diverse. And so it's important that we do reflect that diversity, but there is elements that you can boil that narrative down to that I think would remain authentic. Or I think at any point in time, I think there's also the narrative that our alumni believe that the only time we call them is when we're asking them for dollars. That's great. That existed so many institutions. Yeah. So as alumni relations and alumni experience is changing and evolving, every professional environment has changed in the past two, three years. Institutions are looking at rebuilding or restructuring or changing their alumni shops. If a peer VP or AVP at another institution who does not have an alumni career service teammate or person on their team that they've invested in, what advice would you give them to start with? And what have you found the most valuable first step? That's a great question. I, I think, again, you've got to put the caveat, a lot of it depends on the institution, the institution size, the culture of the institution, all of those things out there as, as a caveat, if I could. I think you, you look at what's the value, the conversation would be, what is the value add? And I go back to that notion of how one builds an alumni community. And what keeps that community together? What's an element of that glue? And I think that lifelong career support is one can make a very good case around that. 
because it also speaks to the presence of where your alumni are. We look at, for example, given the area that we're in, how many of our alumni are employed in this county, for example, and what particular industries, what kind of doors can they open? So it's really sort of creating that sense of presence and a community that's already there that one doesn't have to manufacture. So how can you build some relationships around that? So that's part of the conversation that I would have. It's, so you think you don't have an alumni program? Oh, but you do. Let's talk about that and let's talk about how we can amplify that. And that it may not be just you alone. What are those campus partnerships that can be part of that conversation? I think we can gain so much when we become less territorial within our campus partners. And I think one of the things I always appreciate about my time as an undergraduate was my education in economics and the notions of sunk cost and opportunity cost. And I think really being clear about just because for four decades you've been investing in a regional program, that does not mean that yields the entire impact of your alumni engagement effort. We have to question every additional dollar we're putting into programs, especially now where most alumni offices are challenged with do more with the same or do more with less. How do we not have a sunk cost mentality where we assume every dollar is actually going farther than a dollar invested elsewhere. And the opportunity cost is in a changing economy where your alums, the number one question on their mind as it relates to their relationship with the institution is how can the, that experience, how can that institution help me in my career? You don't have an answer for that. You can have the best volunteer program in the world, but if your alums aren't employed, if they're struggling, if they don't have the kind of support from a community perspective they need in their career and professional development, you can have the greatest programs in the world. It doesn't move the needle with their affinity for the institution. And so I think those two concepts of sunk cost and opportunity cost are important ones for a VP or AVP to consider. I think that goes back to, Brendan, the excellent point you made before is also making sure that our alumni team has the tools to tell that story to a VP, particularly a new VP. And one of the things earlier in the discussion you had with Cindy to the whole audience of attendees was the discussion of where to place the career services offices of institutions. And I think, Brandon, you've been certainly a leader and pioneer in some of the ways to look differently at that in higher education. And I'm curious if you could just share some strategies of why you believe career services belongs I'm talking career services for the students belongs in an advancement or development type shop. Sure. You're going to get me in trouble. Um, <laughs> so in the world of student affairs, even pre-pandemic, the number one through five concerns of the leaders of that part of a university were always around mental health and well-being. Now it's physical health and well-being connection to community, sense of belonging, sense of safety, really important in Maslow's hierarchy, foundational elements for the student experience to be successful. And I know Julie could speak more eloquently than I on student development theory, but the reality is if you asked a VP of student life to list out their top five or 10 concerns, career is not going to show up in those top five or 10 because they're so concerned, rightly so, they are so focused on resourcing these other elements of a foundational kind of state of existence for the students on campus. However, that is not true in the world of advancement, especially in the world of alumni engagement, because that's, I think, 
a career office residing within advancement is one component, but I think alumni specifically is the best location because within the top five concerns of an alumni director are attitudes and perceptions of alums to the institution. And the best way to shape those attitudes and perceptions are the kinds of interactions someone has as a student with the network that is connected with the institution of alums, but also with the orientation of the career services or the career development offices towards that student to build an affinity that is a lifelong affinity, not just we're going to critique your resume. We're going to, it's, it can be triage work in career development, especially with the way a lot of career offices are staffed. Advancement is generally well-staffed because it, a president cares deeply about looking successful. Part of that's fundraising. They know part of the long-term game is alumni engagement. And so we can bring to bear an alumni engagement scale. We can bring to bear resources. We can bring to bear kind of the longitudinal measures and perspectives that really will drive positive outcomes for the institutions in the short term on the student life side and in the long term on the alumni side. So I'm a big believer and advocate that strategically, organizationally, it makes a lot of sense in the advancement space. One initial reaction from a career service professional may be, wait, so I'm going to be a fundraiser or am I going to be a career counselor or career coach, career advisor? What's my role now that I fit into an advancement shop or what's changing? And I, I'm curious if you could just set some comfort to those that may, if this becomes the trend now, it certainly has become more and more popular over the past couple of years. I've seen more and more institutions exploring this. How can you set the comfort across the workforce of higher ed people in the career services NACE community, I would say? It's a completely reasonable question. It's a question even alumni relations people have. Am I a fundraiser yeah. because now I'm in, in an advancement shop? Yes. And that will be an issue till the end of time. <laughs> but the reality is that no is the answer. No career coaches, career advisors do not suddenly become fundraisers in that context of that model. What they do become in their orientation really is as an, a brand ambassador of the institution delivering on a promise the institution has put forward, specifically that because of your time here, opportunities and pathways will be more available. You'll have happy choices when you leave this place. And it's because of the experience of this place that those happy choices can be made available. And not only that, we're going to connect you with a community that's going to journey with you on your professional pathway beyond this place. And so None of that necessitates a change in orientation to the work. What it does necessitate is that when a student leaves that time with a career coach or advisor, that 100% of the value of that career advisor is not derived from the sense that Michael felt really good leaving that office and that they're really grateful to Brandon for being a career coach but that Michael leaves that office as a student and says, I am grateful to this institution for fostering this kind of experience for me. The best institutions in the country that have loyal alumni bases foster this sense that from day one at this institution, we are gonna support your success. As an institution, there are gonna be incredible staff delivering on that promise, but oftentimes it gets confusing for a student when those pathways diverge from one another. And in the world of advancement, the orientation of our work 
is, you know, there are stellar alumni professionals out there, but an alum doesn't confuse often their relationship with that staff member, with the relationship with the institution. If done well, we're fostering and deepening that commitment to the institution and that commitment to the alumni network from that institution. And I think, if anything, that positioning helps with that orientation primarily out of the career office. When I think the other pieces that I would add is that the value add to our fundraising professionals of having the alumni work and the career work within advancement is huge. It's all about stewardship. So I think that's the other piece that, that we have a lot to learn in the alumni space is helping our fundraising team understand the value add that we bring to it. And it goes back to those metrics, which are very real and can paint an incredible picture about the stewardship that we do that only enhances and lifts up the work of our development colleagues. Wonderful. It's been a pleasure spending the time with you both. You both have amazing teams that you've coached. I see you as great leaders and coaches to your team and inspiration to understand the past two and a half challenging years that we've all faced. It's been difficult. And I said this earlier, I was talking to a, a former colleague from George Washington University about sort of the feeling as a musician that we don't have our rhythm, really. We're talented musicians without the ability to figure out our beat together as an ensemble. And I think that our alumni communities feel that. And I think we as professionals feel that even as individually and as a team. And our metrics have been shifted. Our strategy of event planning is no longer the way it was. And we had this routine and this rhythm. And we don't want to be looked that we're not producing what we should be. And that's difficult. As career advisors, we want to demonstrate our return on our investment. We want to demonstrate what we're bringing to the community. It's difficult when you don't have the events or engagement model that you've had. What advice would you want to make sure that everyone hears that you as senior leaders believe in your teams and support them and want every other VP and AVP out there and president to understand that higher ed staff and the workforce challenges, but also inspirationally, they're here to help the mission of the institution. I think what I would hope is that we all understand is empower our teams just to take a moment. And as we come out of this, to acknowledge that everything has changed and that our tanks aren't full yet. So let's take a moment. Let's acknowledge that how we work, what we do, our presence is going to be so totally different and give each other the grace to figure it out rather than just to jump back on what we were doing before because it has just changed so much. So let's take that time for us to acknowledge that and then to commit to that journey to what are we going to commit to, what that's going to look like going forward. One thing that's near and dear to my heart is the role that higher education plays not only in social mobility, but in getting at issues of access and equity within the broader economic framework of the United States. So my grandfather was a refrigerator repairman. College was never an idea in his head. He had an eighth grade education. My father went to play football for a junior college, got recruited and got a scholarship to play football at San Diego State University. He's a proud Aztec. Had it not been for that scholarship, he wouldn't have been able to have the happy choices in life that he had. And in education, if we really want to change the world, it's not going to come from a kumbaya moment. A, we're not the best facilitators of that moment where folks from different perspectives and diverse backgrounds can hold hands and go in a common direction. But what we can agree on is education plays a substantial role in creating equitable outcomes for individuals in the United States. When I was at UC San Diego, one number that we kept repeating 
was that within five years of graduation, what we saw was first-generation college students would be earning kind of what the net worth of their household was before going to college. So you're talking about a substantial economic improvement in outcome for those individuals, even just five years after graduation. And so when we talk about things like career development, which hasn't always, if you look at the metrics, the demographics of who accesses career development, there's a lot of work to be done on the student affairs side, the student facing side, I should say. There's just as much work to be done on the alumni side. And an investment in this is an investment in the future of positive economic outcomes. And I think regardless of your political persuasion, hard to argue against. And so I think an investment here is an investment in the value of education. It's an investment in kind of the value of future and quality of life for our institutions. Brandon, even going back to reminding people, that's why we show up every day. Absolutely. And to be a part of that is just really exciting. You are a part of making futures brighter and better and that you can derive deep meaning and value from that work. It's been a pleasure spending the day with you both and having known you both over the years and followed you as leaders, we are just lucky that you came to ACSN 2022 here in San Diego to be a part of our, our experience and to teach us and learn with us. So we wish you the very best and thank you for taking a part of your day today with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the ACSN podcast. To learn more about ACSN and ways to get involved, please visit myacsn.org. The ACSN podcast is produced in partnership with Alumni FM. Thank you.